Hello, and my name is Pete Rushmer, and I'm your host today of A Half Dozen Things podcast. A Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success, or you're already smashing it, but want to continue to level up, we are here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS, and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. I'm really excited to be joined on the podcast today by Beverly Bell. Many of you all recognise Beverly's name because she was the former Senior Traffic Commissioner for 15 years. She was the Senior Traffic Commissioner from 2002 to 2017 when she retired from the role. And since then, she's been running her own consultancy and training business. It's an amazing interview and Beverly shares some incredible insight. And I really, really appreciate her joining us. I really hope you enjoy it. Please do share it with your friends. Thank you. Really pleased to be joined today by Beverly Bell. Uh, Beverly owns a company called Beverly Bell Consulting and Beverly Bell Training as well. And uh, I'm really, really pleased to have you on the podcast, Beverly. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, is it okay just for the purpose of the listeners, just to be able to give a brief introduction of who you are and uh, what you're doing uh, at the moment for, for work and that kind of thing? Yes, absolutely. And thank you very much for inviting me to take part. I'm delighted. Um, so... In terms of who I am and what I do, I'm a qualified solicitor. I um, qualified as a solicitor back in 1985. I know you're raising your eyebrows. You didn't think I was that old, did you, bless you? I didn't. I didn't, no. (laughs) No, I'm teasing. So I qualified as a solicitor, and then I did criminal law litigation. And then one day I was asked to do some prosecution for the vehicle inspectorate because their solicitor had left and I had to prosecute these funny things involving tachographs and I had no idea what a tachograph was, didn't know the driver's hours rules existed and I was hooked uh, and really enjoyed it. And so in 2000, I applied to be a traffic commissioner. Uh, There were three posts going. To be honest, Peter, I thought I was too young and I thought I was too female because they Mm -hmm. had always been recruited from the armed forces and they were generally retired air vice marshals and oh, okay. um and brigadiers and um the silly bookers gave me one of the jobs uh so that was in 2000 for the northwest traffic area i did that um until i retired in 2017 and in the meantime i became the senior commissioner in 2011 and then when i retired i decided that i would just do a little bit of consultancy uh to help clients because i was never going to retire full time uh, and now my little bit of consultancy, which was going to be two days a week, is now full time. And I'm now employing um, six people. Wow. And I love it. I love it. Wow. And in terms of what I do, basically helping people in a way, it's a very similar job to the old one. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way, it's just putting people back on the road to compliance um, and helping them uh, being a critical friend. and being really honest with them, telling them where things are great where things could be better and where things are awful um, and helping and advising. And that's what I really enjoy doing. And then really that. quickly, and then I'll, I'll finish my, my answer. I'm sorry, I do ramble on a bit. Once no, no, I'm, I'm enjoying listening. It's fantastic. No, not at all. Um, I set up a training company recently because often it seems that the consulting and the training piece go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And um, so I thought, well, that would be a really good opportunity to um, sort of spread some best practice. But that's why the training company was formed. That's it. That's where I am now. No, no lunches, no, no long lunches with ladies. 
no shopping, no cooking, no gardening, no drinking gin in the afternoon, unfortunately. No, still still cracking. I think that's uh, I think that's incredible how quickly your business has grown as well. I think that's testament to the quality of the service uh, that you're offering and the the value that it adds to operators as well. Um, I think uh, I think is 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 absolutely brilliant. Um, I, I guess I've, I've got a range of questions and it's uh, it, like I said, it's absolutely fantastic to have you have you on the podcast. I've got a range of questions and I guess the first one kicking it off is what on earth, how do you end up becoming a traffic commissioner? What was it when you were younger that you really wanted to be? Because you certainly didn't grow up wanting to do that, surely. So what was that? What was the no, plan when you were once upon a time, Beverly? Once upon a time when I was a little girl, I wanted to be an air hostess. Wow. Along with most young girls of my age. Um, I was fortunate enough to live abroad a lot when I was a child. And we used to fly a lot. That was in the days of BOAC and BEA. You're too young to remember. British Overseas Airways Corporation and uh, BEA, British European Airways. That was the days when air hostesses were air hostesses and they wore gloves. Okay. They were very, very glamorous and you had a boiled sweet on takeoff and a logbook from the captain. And so I wanted to be an air hostess because I thought it was the most glamorous thing in the world. And we used to fly to Africa. We used to stop at at Rome to refuel and have lunch. And my father would have his safari suit on and my mother would have her gloves on and her travel suit. And it was all terribly glamorous. And then I realised that actually I probably wasn't cut out to be an air hostess. Um, I can make a cup of tea and pour a gin and tonic and I can do a bit of cooking, but that's about it. And then I decided I want to be an architect because I loved anything to do with property and buildings. And what I don't know about perpendicular architecture and Norman architecture is just not worth knowing. And then I discovered you needed physics at that stage and you had to be good at maths. And I was awful at that. And I was awful at science. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, terrible. Absolutely no thinking idea. So that was out of the window. And I thought, well, I quite like interior design um, and I still love interior design. And when I retired, I was going to do an interior design course and I enrolled and I did four hours of it. Really? (laughs) That's all I thought. I'll do I'll do this once a week. And then lockdown came and I thought, oh, good, I can do my interior design course. And of course, that was even busier. So what did I then do? Um, We had a, a history teacher and she said to us about the law because we were doing something in that law. And I realized it absolutely governs everything we do. You know, in those days, she said, it governs everything from the size of the milk bottle outside your door to how fast you can drive your car into into the Mm -hmm. town. And I just thought, gosh, the law was really interesting. And so I did a law degree at Liverpool, um, became a solicitor. Mm -hmm. All I ever wanted to be was middle class. And... um, having done my law degree, um, qualified as I say as a solicitor, and, and thought I would be doing things like conveyancing because I was a very shy child. You wouldn't believe yeah. it, but I used to cry if a bloke looked at me. Now they cry oh, when really? I look at them. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that's turned on its head a little bit, Beverly. <laughs> that's not true. Um, and so I ended up doing litigation. Okay. And that's why, as I say, I started to do crime. And then I just sort of fell into doing this transport law and then I just found transport law so fascinating I was doing a training session yesterday with a board of directors and their in-house legal counsel was there and he said he he does all the health and safety 
mm-hmm. and he doesn't know about Charles. It's always like being back at college, learning about you know a new subject, and I just think it's fascinating. I really do. Yeah, but it's about the people. It's not about the tachograph, you yeah. know, or the fifth wheel. It's about the people that are, that are dealing with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I think uh, I think your story is fascinating. I was. Um, I'll, I'll be honest with listeners. I was, I was really nervous. And we, we spoke about this sort of prior to, to recording the podcast. I was really nervous about speaking to you, obviously, with your legal background. But I have got a little bit of experience, not quite so much. But my um, I grew up, my dad was a policeman, but he was a very, very stern policeman. And he served in the police for, for well, his full career. was He was a, a career policeman. He didn't actually rank particularly highly over time because the exams came at the wrong time and they had various struggles with minor strikes and, and things like that which were obviously horrific for, mm. for him at the time but uh, he was a very very strict father and from a legal point of view he made it very clear so I think um, I think that's probably why I've ended up doing this because I enjoy I, there's there's only one way to do things and that's the right way but he was also very focused or he is still very focused on people it's about people and making sure that, that, pe- that people people are right so um where was he a police officer uh so i i'm quite fortunate i I was lucky enough i live in peterborough now which isn't isn't quite as nice but i grew up in cambridgeshire dad was a dad was a cambridgeshire policeman um he he served in cambridge in st ives which is just outside huntingdon no no i used to live in Hemingford gray did you really yeah yeah so that's very close to where i grew up i grew up in a little village called over which is just outside St Ives, but on, on the way to Cambridge. And I was going to St Ives. I met a man with seven wives. Seven wives had seven cats. Seven I, cats wore seven hats. Do you remember? I remember this. Yes. The little, the little, the little bridge in St Ives. Gosh. Yeah, Gosh, beautiful. what a small world. Beautiful Be- part of the world. Yeah, beautiful part of the world. St Ives. And I, I've. It's not long actually ago. So um, since I, I've made more of an effort to uh, spend time with dad um dad's getting on a little bit now he's probably he'll he'll certainly be listening to this avidly as well actually he really will and he'll be dead proud that his lad is interviewing the former senior traffic commissioner he will be dead proud he really will and i took him out actually in st ives uh for lunch and then on to well, no, james to bond now. i want to i want i want to meet him because you know i lived there when we were a little when i was a little girl yeah. um in between when we were living in, in Africa and, and the Middle East. And I have very fond memories yeah. um, of that part of the world. As I say, we lived we lived in Hemingford Grey. Yeah. And um, oh yes, all sorts of places that I remember. Dad dad used to love, he used to love uh sorting uh, he was in the drug squad for a while. So he loved he loved getting crims, you know, keeping the streets clean and all that sort of thing, you know, looking after people. I'm it sure they didn't do drugs in St. Ives. <laughs> Not in St. Ives, I think in Cambridge. I think it was and Huntingdon, oh. Huntingdon was um, once upon a time, I think there was uh, there's some there's some trouble around there. But yeah, no, St. Ives is beautiful. St. Ives is beautiful. They dad when dad retired. Um, they bought a narrow boat and they they spent a lot of time in St. Ives on their narrow boat. So um anyway, we digress. Yes. <laughs> we digress. Um so my next question was a traffic commissioner based one, and that is, and, and I, I suppose this is a really good question leading on from what we've just been talking about. Are the traffic commissioners to be feared by operators? No, only by the naughty ones. Yes. It, it, look. Yeah, Richard Turfitt is, is the, the senior traffic commissioner now, and he's an excellent senior traffic commissioner. Obviously, he's an excellent traffic commissioner, and, and he speaks to the traffic commissioners, and it's not my job to do that at all. 
But looking at it from a consultant's point of view, from a transport lawyer's point of view, or an operator's point of view, I think the traffic commission is actually to be loved by operators. It doesn't feel like it at times. You know, you can go, oh my gosh, they've done this. How can they do that? But absolutely they're to be loved because, and I used to say it when I was a TC, you know, learn to love your traffic commissioner because they are there to promote road safety and fair competition. And we know what a tough world it is. We know what the profit margins are for the transport industry. They're so small for the compliant operators that what the traffic commissioners are doing is promoting road safety and making sure that it's a level playing field for, for the operators. And in my view, they quietly get on with it every day, regulating. And, you know, my, my former colleague, and, and as, as I would say, my wee pal, Joan Aitken, because that's what I used to say about her. Uh, and she is my wee pal. Um, Joan Aitken from Scotland used to talk about the invisibility of success. You know, it's great that the great British public don't know about traffic commissioners. Because mm. generally, they only hear about regulators when it goes wrong. And when those regulators are not effective or they don't use their powers, but TCs just get on with it quietly every day. And so they will put operators out of business who either don't give a fig about it or operators who are making lots and lots of money because they're not bothering to pay for the cost of compliance. So short answer, love your TC. That's a great answer. I love that. I I wanted to comment when when we sort of spoke previously, you mentioned about a LinkedIn story. It'd be really great for the listeners to to hear about that. That you were accused of being anti-transport businesses. Yes, I I have to do social media now that I've got a, a training business and a consulting business, and I can't say I like it. I have to say. <laughs> I'm not and, a big fan myself. <laughs> and, and, and generally, um, my practice manager does most of it, and she's excellent at it. And every now and again. Uh, she says, oh, Beverly, you've not been on LinkedIn, have you? What have you said now? What damage have I got to undo? Um, and I I generally don't post a lot, but I did see um, an article by um, a lorry driver. And it was at, at the time when it first hit the public news about, or the, you know, the general press, about the shortage and about the fact that they're, they're not valued. Lorry drivers are not valued. And this chap was obviously having a real rant on LinkedIn. And I was agreeing with him and it was like four paragraphs. I was agreeing with him and I got, and I was thinking, I really must write to this chap and go, I completely agree with you. And then it got to the end and it said, and then you've got people like Beverly Bell rollicking or romping all over social media doing training. You know, she's put too many people out of business. And I thought, oh, I was only doing the job. Maybe I shouldn't. And I yeah, wanted exactly. to connect with him. I know. I wanted to connect with him and say, actually, I'm one of the good guys, but I didn't bother. No. I said, no, don't, don't, <laughs> just leave it. No, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, I think uh, it's absolutely a, a, a valid thing that needs doing. So, and that leads me nicely onto my next question, which was actually, when you when you were a TC, what and 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 I suppose even now, what makes a rewarding day for you? What what is it that makes makes you tick and do what you do, Beverly? Very simple. Um, it's it's making sure it's it's when you've you, so yesterday I did a training session as I say with the board of directors, um, including the chief executive, um, and it's at the end of that day they knew what their responsibilities were as no license holder, and that's where I get the job satisfaction from. And as a result of that, they are going to change a lot of things they do. 
transfer that to a, a, a TC role and you have a public inquiry and you get some poor unsuspecting chief executive in front of you um, who thinks they know everything. And they're generally about 12 years of age and, and they look at you as if to say, well, what do you know, Flossie? And then, um, <laughs> you know, you explain to them what their responsibilities are and then they go, oh, yes, of course. Of course I'll do that. The difference is in my old role, if I asked, people generally said yes. Only once did a chap say no, which I can tell you about, which was quite amusing. And then in my current role, I can I can advise, but they can choose not to take my advice. And I don't have any influence to say you you will do it. Can I tell you about the chap? Tell me about yeah. Tell, tell me about the chap who said no once upon a time. <laughs> it was it was amusing. It was a, I won't say who it was. It was a very very large bus company in a in a, a northern city, and they were represented by Stephen Kirkbright, who was one of they used to be the top three transport lawyers. Were Stephen Kirkbright, John Backhouse, and Jonathan Lawton. Okay, and and Stephen Kirkbright used to sort of puff himself up and, and, and make out, you know, how, how very important he was. And I was just a mere traffic commissioner. What did I know? And this client, I'd asked for them to give me an undertaking. And this, this transport manager director was a former chappie in the army. And he really didn't want to give me the undertaking. And um, I said, well, will, will you give me this undertaking, Mr. Kirkbright? And he said, I'll take instructions. And he said, no, he won't. And everybody went, <gasps> I said, no, he won't. No, no. I'm like, okay. So we got to lunchtime. The whole load of DBSA guys at the back, we got to lunchtime. And I said, I tell you what, Mr. Kirkbright, after lunch, you, during lunch, you can speak to your client and find out if you would like to give me the undertaking or not. You know what I'm going to say, don't you, Mr. Kirkbright? He said, yes, of course. So he came back after lunch. I said, Mr. Kirkbright, have you taken instructions? Yes. My client has said he would very much like to give you one. And this, I just didn't realise what he'd said. And all these DVSA guys in the back, their shoulders were going up and down their heads. <laughs> I'm so grateful, Mr. Kirkbright. That'd be lovely. So anyway, he he um, he gave me an undertaking. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So since you stopped being the senior traffic commissioner, tell me a bit more about Beverly Bell Consulting and the types of people that you're working with. You've just given a bit of insight that you were working with a sort of senior leadership team, including the chief executive of a of a business. Um, you know, uh, the the business I run, flagship partners, probably on a, on a smaller scale um, uh, than yourself, uh, and probably with smaller operators. We tend to work with more family owned um, sort of private businesses uh, and make them help or what help make them that's not the right terminology help them understand um their uh, what what compliance looks like what great looks like um what who is it you're working with and and, and how are you doing that and how is it different to other people out there i don't think it is any different from other people out there in terms of the client base um you know we we we, we advise lots of organizations lots of types of organizations i do a lot of work with schools on section 19 permits uh, and I'm very pleased to do that. And I sort of see that as voluntary work in a way um, because, you know, schools these days don't have any money and, and there are all sorts of issues. So I do a lot of work with, with schools and clients can range from, you know, large multi-million pound companies who run commercial vehicles for a living 
large um, multi-million pound companies that don't run them for a living and it's ancillary to their main business yeah uh, and they're obviously the ones where they have real challenges because they don't have, have to have a transport manager although we always advise them to and then it can be family companies and it can be family companies that have are sort of third or fourth generation and and you know we we, we do also advise um you know individuals or small partnerships so it's right across the board okay. um the, i think the reason in terms of what makes me different i think the reason they come to me is because they think well let me be clear there are there are two types that come to me those that think well she probably knows what she's talking about and there have been one or two who have thought if I go to her she'll be able to have some influence with the TCs or she'll be able to swing it I see and I make it really clear that I I will probably get a far harder time before a TC Mm -hmm. than the other transport lawyers and that it just doesn't work like that yeah. Um, and generally, I tend to refer those on to other people because it wouldn't it wouldn't be right yes. yeah, to um, advise those people. And there are one or two, as I say, who fall into the highly non-compliant category who really would want to use my name. And yes. I send them elsewhere. Yeah, of course, of course. So you're, you're very selective over who, who you work with. Um, with regards to public inquiry, one of the questions was, and it sounds from your answer just then, you do represent your clients at public inquiry, although I suppose yeah. I suppose the plan is to keep them away in the first instance. Yes, and, and the plan was never, when, when I retired, I said, I'm never going to appear before a traffic commissioner to public inquiry and represent an operator. And of course, what did I end up doing? appearing as a public inquiry and representing an operator and it's not my model and it's not something I want to continue doing um I I really enjoy it because I like the legal argument and and I do enjoy that um and I I like that aspect of it And, and again I like looking after you know my client but I I prefer to be you know as I was yesterday in a very fancy hotel with a lovely lunch, uh, talking to a board of directors about what their responsibilities are and engaging with them. I much prefer doing that. And that's yeah. one of the reasons. Yeah, that's 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 where the value is as well. I think it's it's it, I find it really I find it really rewarding when I when I speak to people who who want to do a great job and helping them understand what's what's involved and what needs to be done uh, i find i find really really rewarding enlightening people and i also think one of the things i get a real buzz out of is is making like working environments safer so i think one of the challenges that we face one of the challenges we face with some of the transport operators particularly i work with and i'm sure you'll have seen it in your past as well that people are very quick to to blame, shame and retrain. So it's the individual's fault all the time. But sometimes people are victims of their environment and the culture in which they're bought, bought into. And when you deal with management at, a, at an influential level, they can actually affect great change within their businesses by creating safer environments and safer conditions for people based on the way that they choose to run their business, based on what's important to the organisation. And when you can start to make those changes at a, at a management level that's when i think people can enjoy their work a lot more in a safer environment as well 
I absolutely agree. Culture is everything. Um, and, and once you've got the right culture and it's sort of driven top down, bottom up, then it's much easier. Um, the other thing I really enjoy doing when, when we go in and do a compliance review uh, is talent spotting mm -hmm. and, and making, you know, because 90% 90, 90 of operators want to do it properly. The reason things go wrong is often because there's an issue with an individual. It may yeah. be that they're not great to be a transport manager. They might be really great at being in charge of the chocolate biscuit machine, but you put them in charge of some trucks and they're like, oh, gosh. Um, but more importantly, finding the talent as to where, where are our, where's our next generation of transfer managers coming from? I mean, that's one of the main reasons I've done the training company, because there aren't people these days who say, oh, when I grow up, mummy, I want to be a transport manager. And people never say, when I grow up, mummy, I want to go and work in the transport industry. They all end up there by accident. And when they're there, they go, we love it. Yeah. And, and I would really like to, to, to develop that whole piece around the professionalism of transport managers. When I was chair, I think, you know, we talked about this all the time. We talked about, you know, professionalizing the sector mm -hmm. and actually taking a pride in, 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 in what you do. So that, for me, is where I get my buzz, where yeah. you go into a business and you go, you're good. Yeah. And you go to the MD or chief exec or HR or whoever it is and go, they're good. Yeah. You know, have you thought about putting them through the TMCPC? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think I think that's really really vital. Professionalising the transport manager role because it's such a vital role in in as a as a middle middle management level position, which reports to the to the company directors. Often it may be a director, depending on the company, but. Um, the, the sort of 360 degree management and the skill set that that needs that potentially isn't trained in the TMCPC as part of the exam it anyway. It isn't. I mean, you know, I took my, my CPC um, in 2002. Yep. And I, do, I took it, A, because I didn't want certain operators going, what do you know about trucks, love? Of course, yeah. And, and I had to earn some credibility. So I went and took the exam. I was terrified. Stood outside the exam, quoting you know various things to myself that I had to remember because it was you know you couldn't take your books in in those days. You had to remember it, uh, and I was absolutely terrified. And I think it's really important that that we get the right transport managers, and it's about having the right competencies. You know, I used to say being a traffic commissioner, being a transport manager, very similar. You have to praise the good. But you also have to be robust in dealing with the bad. Yeah. There's no room for sentiment and there's no room. You know, I used to wave the legislation that the operator goes, no exemption of being a nice bloke. And it's the same with the transport manager. It's a tough role. You have to be a friend to the drivers, but you also have to be tough with them. Yeah. So it's about the skills and competencies that they have. Um, and I suppose, you know, if I wanted to get one message over today, it would be for transport managers, whether they're current or aspiring, to read. And if Richard Turf is listening, he's going to laugh. Paragraph 54 of statutory guidance document number three, which I'm always banging on about to operators because that defines the role of the transport manager. Um, and I remember, you know, Richard and I, or, well, Richard wrote most of it and I just added a bit, um, you know, writing it because it, it defines what the TM has to do. There you go. That that's really really great for the listeners to listen to because 
they are largely transport managers. I host a, I host a group on on Facebook, the the Transport Managers Hub, um, which I try and keep. There's there's lots of there's lots of groups of communities of transport managers on Facebook, particularly, um, and some of them are quite negative, and some of them are quite derisory towards each other on occasion in some of the comments. And I try what? to keep it. I try to keep it positive as best I can. What you mean, the transport managers towards each other? Yeah, yeah. So. Why? Essentially, well, there's um, essentially it's a it's a it's a hub where uh, or, or there's there's lots of forums on Facebook where transport managers can go and ask questions of each other if they don't know an answer to something or has someone got experience of this situation. Oh God, or... don't show me those. <laughs> you on. didn't even know they existed. You must come and join, Beverly. Come and join no, our community. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, but yeah, sometimes, um, and there's people who are training, there's people who are learning. And uh, sometimes, sometimes the, the questions can be um, a little bit, I would say, key stage one is probably a nice way of putting them, Beverly. And um, and sometimes people are quite quick to point out that it's a key stage one question and people should know should know this. Um, and sometimes it's that's unfair. That's unfair. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't know what someone's journey is. You don't know where they are. Um, and sometimes it's better to just scroll past and just, you know, if you've got nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. Let someone else pick up the slack and, and sort of help that person uh, in, in becoming slightly more enlightened. Uh, but yeah, it, it, I, I try and keep it positive in, in, in the group that I that I run and manage. And uh, I hope try to keep it informative. And so one of the things I try and do is the operator CPC exam is fantastic at training transport managers around um, the legislation and what's required. And one of the things where, where I try and add a little bit of value where I can is in the softer skills around building influence, uh, managing people, what to do when things go wrong. And how to manage people, which potentially isn't part of that, isn't part of the qualification, but it's something that's a vital skill as well. And that's part of the podcast as well. well one of the reasons for why I run the podcast is that it gives that free level of CPD for people to listen in to advice and support from people like yourself, Beverly. I mean, I am aware, obviously, that there are forums on Facebook and on and on LinkedIn. I, was and say, I, I think they're closely watched. Hi, it's Pete from Flagship Partners. We're really proud to sponsor a Half Dozen Things podcast. At Flagship Partners, we take road safety really seriously and we're your road safety partnership. We help transport companies with compliance and training across their businesses, including first aid, driver CPC and other transport management services. So if your four is accredited or you want to improve your, improve your operator compliance risk score, give Flagship Partners a call today. I'm not sure. I don't know, but I think they're closely watched. Sure they say that by, 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 by whom? By some people in the DVSA, that kind of thing is is what's alleged. I couldn't possibly say, Your Honour, but but um, <laughs> I, I think I, I know that. I'm, so Joanna, my wonderful practice manager, she um, does look at Facebook, and I think we even might even have a Facebook page. Um, I don't know. We might have. Um, I know we've certainly got a presence on, on LinkedIn, but with regard to the transport manager CPC exam, does it qualify somebody to carry out the role of transport manager? No, it doesn't. Mm. How many transport managers in the 21st century need to know how many um, hours rest you have to have when you're carrying goats or sheep or pigs or horses or chickens? Very few. How many transport managers have to do the financial calculations? 
and the costings, very few. How many of them have to know how to read and understand a balance sheet and a profit and loss account? Very few. And this is a subject that's really dear to my heart. And I'm delighted to, to sit on the CILT. You know, I'm vice president of CILT, which is a great organisation. And there's a, a group there, which is a, a sort of working group looking at the transport manager CPC exam and saying, well, you know, and the course, does it is it fit for purpose now? Of course, it's European legislation. But, you know, one of the things I would really like to see is that exam being much more relevant to the role of the transport manager. Mm -hmm. And uh, Nick Denton, one of the traffic commissioners, traffic commissioner of the West Midlands, uh, also sits on that group. And I know that he and also Nick Jones, who's a former TC for Wales, have been engaging with the Department for Transport, looking at the role of the transport manager and the exam. And I think that's all fabulous, whether it's goods or PSV. So that's fantastic. I think to hear to hear there's such involvement and that it's being that it's being looked at because yes, it is. There, there is um I think the, the exam certainly doesn't train it's it's almost like I think the, the way I liken it is it's like driving your driving license. Once you pass your yes. test is when you start to learn. And it's the same with it's the same with being a transport manager. You pass your exam and you start to sit in the role and then you start to learn. But there's so many. I, I think I, I feel quite fortunate because I I entered, I, I fell in love with the sector in a slightly different way to how many people do. I think the the mm -hmm. the, the, the development plan tends to look something like driver, good driver, takes responsibility, maybe comes a planner. Uh, after doing some planning, becomes a transport manager, does their CPC and sort of go, goes that way. Whereas I, I entered from like a maintenance background, having worked for a vehicle manufacturer. So, and I got used to helping operators be compliant from that point of view, particularly. And um, I think I was quite fortunate because as a manager in a, in a manufacturer, I'd had loads of great development around people management and um, coaching and, dealing with poor performance and all of those things I that it was sort of quite natural but I think one of the things that I've picked up is that in a lot of transport companies those things aren't nurtured quite so much and that can be that can be a challenge for people as they develop through through the transport businesses I absolutely agree with that and I think the other thing I would say is that being a transport manager in one company is never the same as being a transport manager in another company because it yeah. depends on the size of the organization yes. it depends on the type especially if it's family companies yeah and um, the, the businesses are so far, far ranging in what they yes. do as well you know from from a builder's merchant through to a you know a traditional haulier um that that the role is so varied the role is so varied. there's there's elements which are which will be very similar around what need what's required to remain compliant but ultimately the role itself and the type of type of people you're dealing with and the work they're carrying out is so varied as well um on your, can I just ask you a quick question? On your transport managers forum, is it both goods and PSV, or is it just does, does it just tend to be goods? We do have both, but because my knowledge tends to be right. mostly okay. on goods, um, I I don't tend to do too much with PSV anyway. Um, okay. I, I can't. I don't hold PSV myself either. Mm -hmm. um, what, what? That's an interesting question. Well, <laughs> why is it an interesting question, Peter? Um, I think. Again, the, the, the exams are different, obviously, because the legislation is different. But in terms of those other skills, you call them soft skills, those other skills that are needed, whether it's, you know, people management 
or having an effective disciplinary process or having a really good training matrix and scheme. Yes. It's the same, it's the same skills. They're just transferable. But one of the things that always struck me as a TC, and it certainly strikes me now, is the real differences in the attitudes and cultures in both of the sectors, one goods, one PSB. Neither is better or worse than the other. They're just very different. Okay. Okay. No, that makes and of course, the poor old PSB industry has been decimated in the pandemic. They've got some real challenges, yeah. I feel Absolutely. I really, really, really feel for them, particularly whilst transport to an extent obviously they face challenges with driver shortages, but a lot of the companies I know that, are, that have stood up well are thriving. You know, they've got lots and lots of work. Um, rates have improved. Um, there's really on goods. No, yeah, rates on, on goods. this oh, side yes. has really, yeah. really, really improved. You know, so one, one side's really th- thrived to an extent. Don't get me wrong, it still faces its challenges and anyone anyone will tell me the challenges they face, but... From a financial point of view, the, there's there's plenty of cash sloshing around at the moment. I I absolutely push back on that. Okay, when 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 sorry, when you say that mm-hmm. companies are thriving, mm-hmm. they are doing better. Uh, many many companies are doing better financially than they were, mm-hmm. but the profit margins are still tiny. It's course, still yeah. cutthroat out there. Mm-hmm. Drivers, you know, I'm loving doing this because I feel like I'm standing on a soapbox. On you know, nice. like, part, part you're, you're welcome. Corner. No, you but, carry but, on. But, but drivers are so undervalued by so many companies. Don't get me wrong, you know, there are always fabulous organizations out there who really value their drivers and have great relationships and really look after their drivers. But, and, and you know, I don't want to enter the driver shortage debate. I can only talk about, I definitely don't want to do that, but I can I can draw on my own experiences, mm-hmm. which is how drivers are dealt with by many companies. And it's not good. And it's a race to the bottom in terms of how much they'll pay their drivers, how they're treated. That's why I was so in tune with that driver who was having a rant about having to pee in a bottle on the side of the road and how there's no facilities and how badly treated they are not just by um in in limited limited cases their employers but by all people they come into contact with whether it's at at an rdc whether it's at the customer's premises or whether it's with the great british public who don't value the transport costs they don't value the drivers they look at a driver and see somebody in their head you know with a, a certain tummy profile a certain hair profile chomping on a yorkie bar the reality couldn't be further from the truth. No, no. stereotyping. Yeah, absolutely. No. Stereotyping's an awful part of the sector. I think that leads us really nicely onto the next area that I wanted to, to, to sort of ask you about, and that was how do we attract and retain fantastic <laughs> young talent in the business, and particularly diversifying the industry as well, including uh, getting some fantastic women into the business too. Okay, so the the the, the person to ask that question of is my hero Steve Granite from Think Logistics, Abbey Logistics. I'm in love with him. If he knows I'm in love with him, don't worry. He's you okay. know, married with children. Um, but but Steve, Steve Granite absolutely has worked so hard to get out there and engage with the world at large in terms of attracting people into the sector and career ready. People like um, Bethany Windsor, um, who works with the Novus Trust, um, work really hard to 
to get out there and to speak to students, to get students to come and do transport, you know, in, in their degrees and to be sponsored by employers. And I'm afraid the only people that can do this are the employers. Um, it's no good expecting government to do it. And, and, you know, much as I, I absolutely love government and the Department for Transport, why wouldn't I be paid my salary for 17 years? You know, I think in, the commercial vehicle sector has to understand that, that government's not, not going to help them on this. Well, as I said, I'm not entering the debate on driver shortages and, and changing the cabotage rules and all that nonsense. Um, but, you know, I, I know an organisation up in in, um, in Burnley, a, a family transport company they have an open day every year um everybody can come they have bouncy castles and they have um you know barbecues and they come and say we are a really good employer you know we will look after you whether it and it, remember it's not just drivers we need planners routers schedulers back mm -hmm. office staff yeah. um transport supervisors and and they're a really big employer in their local community and are seen as a a really positive place to go and work. And mm -hmm. um, I'll shut up in a moment. But the other thing that she's no. very good at is moaning. And they go, oh, it's all, it's all really hard. It's already difficult. Oh, it's already tough. Well, who wants to go and work somewhere where they go, oh, it's all really off? You know, if they're, if they're positive and enthusiastic and they present that positive public image, people will want to go and work there. So yeah. I tell you what, have you, have you interviewed Steve Granite on your podcast? I've not, but he sounds fascinating. Oh, right. right, here's your man. I'll, I'll, I'll ask him if I can send his email address. That would be fantastic. I'd be really pleased to speak to him. I uh, I interviewed not long ago, actually, Morton Collymore, who's just taken the chairman's oh. role at RHA. What a, lovely gent, what a lovely gent he is as well, by the way. They really. once delivered, if he's listening, he'll laugh. They once delivered, when I lived in Worcestershire, some gravel to my house. I have never seen such a clean vehicle. Oh, so really? tidy Fantastic. it was all all covered over <laughs> that was when i was a tc oh my god i'm the ring to beverly bella let's put my my best vehicle <laughs> lovely yeah lovely oh, bless them. yeah lovely lovely business as well really really nice chap morton was and yeah. we we had an in-depth conversation around the, the the narrative in the sector about the negativity morton morton came into some negativity recently bless him on social media when he took the chairman's role around you know some negativity around generational businesses and um the, why what um, did they say so I, I think some negativity around we can't change things with the same old names and and these sorts of things which i think is is awful you know that that you have to put up with that negativity from people uh, and he really does he's really keen to make a change and improve things for, for, for the sector um, that's why that's why i don't like social media yeah no it's awful um but i think the the, the challenge is is on on some level we need somehow and i don't i don't know the answer that i've got more questions than answers myself but somehow that because that's how the general public are communicating how do we change the positivity around and the narrative around the sector to be more positive um is question a, for Steve Granite. Question for Steve Granite. I think okay. Or old Morton. That's 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 why I don't like social media. I was reading in in the paper this morning about um, she's called Tilly. I think great name Tilly, who is um, the daughter of Gordon Ramsay. Oh, okay. And she, apparently she isn't. She, apparently she's on Strictly Come Dancing. No, I don't watch Strictly Come Dancing. If you no. want to ask a question, <laughs> I know lots of people do. Uh, 
And apparently some DJ from some radio station said she was plump or something. Yeah, absolutely, your face says it all. Well, what an idiot he is. And, you know, why don't we call that out? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we should. Absolutely, so. yeah. No, awful. I think... Um, yeah, there's 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 such such a long way to go, isn't there? I think with um, the, certainly around the positivity, and I think it, it isn't helped by. I think there's a lot of, and this was something more and I discussed. There's a lot of bitterness. There's a lot of bitterness in the sector about the way, and it's kind of this vicious cycle. And at some point, we've got to lift above that a bit above the parapet and become, and go. You know what? Let's draw a line and let's let's move but forward. Bitterness about what? I think. Um, I think. I think particularly drivers i think because of the way they've been treated for so many years and that i think they realize that this has been a challenge in the sector for so many years around conditions and pay and and those things there's there's an awful lot of bitterness towards transport managers towards the industry as a whole towards the sector i think that people exist in it rather than thrive in it and i think that's something we need to change that people actually thrive in their career um but that's that's a big big thing isn't it that's why things like all those awards events are so good because it celebrates the good excuse Mm. me and it celebrates best practice and it celebrates people (coughs) whether it's the cilt awards night which they have every year or whether it's the um most transport awards or you know coach and bus awards you know all of those things are great yeah. And there's so much yeah. that can be done. Yeah, yeah. I'll ask Steve uh, Granite if I can. Yeah, I think celebrating celebrating success is an enormous yeah, yeah. part of improving engagement and motivating workforces. Yeah. Is a is is a great way of improving that. Do I think external transport managers can be as effective as internal ones? Because now I do think that question that I've just posed is one that I I am asked sometimes. Okay. Um, and again, there can be some negativity around external transport managers. The legislation is 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 the same. It's continuous and effective management. Okay. So as long as the external transport manager can carry out that continuous and effective management, I think there's absolutely always going to be a place for external transport managers, because in a way they have many strengths obviously i'm talking about the good ones because they will come in and they will be external there'll be a fresh pair of eyes they won't have those operational challenges that an internal transport manager might have mm-hmm. so they won't necessarily know that i've got to get this load out and 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 actually it would be really good if i could just slip the safety inspection a couple of days because i've got to do this load they will come in and they will say no it's got to be done now Yes. And, and as long as you've got a continuous and effective management being carried out, and, and for me, it's, it's always about how are the drivers being managed? I'm not a fan of, well, I'll work as a TM on a Saturday, or I'll come and do it on a Sunday morning, or I'll do it Thursday afternoon between four and five. Mm-hmm. It's what happens when things go wrong, what happens when the transport, when the drivers have done their driver daily water round check, and I know some don't do it, but most do. When they've done their drive daily walk around check and there's a defect, is the system effective for them to report into the right person so that the vehicle either has a defect rectified there and then or it's taken off the road? That's the challenge, I think, for the external TM. Yeah. yeah. And I think I think that's improved with digital management systems where notification can be immediate and um 
the right people who have got the right control are able to manage those things, aren't they? Because they're, they're whilst they're remote, there's a digital notification, whether that person's on site or not, in which they are able to then pick up and manage that situation. Yes, and, and that's the other thing I want to talk about. The whole, well, I think it's two things. It's the whole COVID thing. We've all changed how we work as a result of COVID because we've had to. And so a lot of us do now work you know, open quotes, remotely close quotes, but remotely, we all know what we mean. Oh, we've got a remote, you know, worker. It doesn't mean they're remote in the old fashioned traditional sense of the word. You can still be continuous and effective on the end of a Zoom call. You can can still be continuous and effective using a WhatsApp group to communicate with drivers. You can still be, you know, continuous and effective if you've got uh, a driver defect reporting app provided the drivers are using it properly yes um and you know when i was a tc you know the the staff would would write to an operator who wanted to cover four operating centers one in england one in scotland one in wales and one in wherever else and um they would say well what are the traveling distances well it takes me four hours to get to peterborough and then the next day I go to Glasgow, blah, blah, blah. And of course, they would say, well, no, you're not continuous and effective. Now, I think the real challenge is, and, and again, this is as much a challenge for the, for the traffic commissioners as it is for the industry in terms of how you reflect those massive changes in saying, well, a trust manager can be continuous and effective in their role, even if they are not going to Glasgow and Peterborough every week or every fortnight. They still have to go. You still have to visit. But so much now can be done remotely. And it's the same with the digital tachograph analysis. It's the same with the digital uh, vehicle management systems. Yeah. But there's a real value in the transport manager just turning up unannounced one morning, just like DBSA do and going, well, you know, I know you thought I was here next week, but actually... I'm here I'm now. Here today. I'm here now. Let's have a walk around that vehicle and have a chat about it. Let's do a gate check. Yeah. Let's do a gate check. Let's get my clipboard out. Yeah. Let's have a good chat about how work's been over the past few weeks and what's going on. And Driver health, mental health, physical health. Yeah. Are you all right, love? Yeah, I'm fine. Standard oh. answer. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. Are you really okay? So what's really happening? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Beverly, it's been absolutely fantastic. I can't believe how quickly an hour has flown by <laughs> with us chatting about transport and uh, what a fantastic interview it's been. I really, really appreciate you joining me. Um, how do people find out about more about Beverly Bell Consulting? Should they go on LinkedIn and, 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 and find you? No, and don't go on LinkedIn. Do <laughs> Just Google beverlybell.co.uk. Perfect. Perfect. And they can get in touch with you that way. That's fantastic. Thank you very much for joining me. I hope listeners have got a lot of value out of this. I certainly have. And it's been fantastic to have you join me. Thank you very much, Beverly. Well, thank you. Thank you for being so nice to me. And thank you for inviting me, Peter. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. You're welcome. I really hope you loved today's episode. And if you did, please make sure you subscribe and listen out for future episodes too. Please do share it across your social media channels. We hope to reach more and help more people. If you want to find out more about me, my name's Pete Rushmer. You'll find me across any social media channel and my business, Flagship Partners. And we're your partners in success across your business. Thank you. See you again soon.